0: Crescent City Crime contains violent and explicit content that is not suitable for a younger audience. Certain topics may be disturbing or triggering to some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Thank you for supporting the podcast by listening to Crescent City Crime. Please help spread the word of the podcast by telling a friend about us. You may help further support the show by leaving us a five-star review on your preferred podcasting platform. We are also on Patreon at Crescent City Crime. Check the episode description for source links, as well as links to our social media accounts. The music used in this introduction is called The Black Fingerprint, and it was composed by Dylan Owen. Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And thank you for keeping your ears on us. Thank you for listening to us week after week. And if you are new here, we welcome you.
1: Thank you very much. We have fun doing this, but we would we really appreciate it when people listen to what we do.
0: And we also would love it very, very much if you could leave us a review, or tell a friend about us. Word of mouth is always going to be a great way to spread the word about something.
1: Yes, yes, very much, and you know, coming from people they people they know, they'll be more likely to share your enjoyment of our podcast.
0: Yes. Well, Brian, so, you know, I have been thinking this week about prison breaks. How hard do you think it would be to break out of the prison currently, Angola prison?
1: It is extremely hard, but keep in mind that uh, inmates are spending 100 of their time behind bars with lots and lots and lots of time on their hands <laughs> plenty of time to think about anything and everything you want to think about and of course some of these inmates can can real can study what the staff is doing study the staff's routine right and look for look for weak points look for openings opportunities to do certain to do a variety of things Really.
0: that's very true. And infamously, Charles Manson, when he was in prison, had to have prison guards rotated out on a regular basis because he knew how to mess with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he had nothing better to do uh, at all, and someone of his intelligence is a uh, is a very da- makes a very dangerous criminal.
0: Very much so. Now, have you ever heard the name Charlie Frazier? Yeah, I have heard the name. Yes. Okay. How much do you actually know about Charlie Frazier? Though so, I know you heard the name, right? Right. But who was he? An escapee from Angola. He was much more than that. He was. Now, but before I really get into the story, though, I do want to mentioned that this was one of the most <clears throat> difficult things to find information on. Most of it came from a newspapers.com clipping in which Peter Tattersall of the New York Times discussed the book he wrote about Charles Fraser. I could not locate the book, but I still managed to cobble together some information. Charlie Fraser was a 1930s-era gangster. You know, Tommy Guns and Bank Robin.
1: Oh, yeah, okay? yeah, but... And keep in mind, it wasn't all Tommy guns, uh, the BAR, Browning Automatic Rifle in 308 of world, of, uh, late World War I fame and then later World War II fame was also favored by gangsters. In fact, uh, Bonnie and Clyde used a, uh, a BAR that had the barrel cut down so oh. that they could make, so it was more handy inside of, you know, from firing from within a vehicle.
0: That's good to know.
1: So... But uh, you know, the movies and TV shows from the gangster era, they they just use Tommy guns. I think it's
0: because they look cool. They
1: they they did they do look cool, whether it's the Marine Corps version from World War Two, which has a traditional uh you know, forward uh slide? Uh, you know no no the uh barrel drum. The uh the heat shield. The heat shield underneath the barrel, you see?
0: Yeah.
1: So Whereas the the Chicago typewriter version that was uh, popular for movies, the game gang, involving gangsters, has that foregrip, right? Yes. on it that the foregrip really made the Tommy gun look, you know, quite quite the sexy gun along with the the fifty round drum magazine, right? As, as well. So, you know, yes, it made for it made it was really sexy in the in the movies, you know. <laughs>
0: Well, Charlie Fraser was sort of that type of guy. He was frequently in prison, which is probably no surprise to you. And he would often show up at the hospital complaining of gunshot wounds. <laughs> His resume boasts 52 bank robberies, 17 murders, 6 kidnappings, 18 prison escapes, and 11 gunshot wounds.
1: Wow, I mean, all all of that. I mean, this all of that says gangster. Very much so. For sure. And,
0: I mean, just imagine like what what a life that was for a minute. Always constantly getting into trouble, getting into prison, escaping prison, being shot. That that's a lot for one
1: person. Not not having a problem killing people. Not having that, a problem killing or
0: kidnapping people.
1: Obviously, a a psychopath.
0: Yes. On September 10th, 1933, Charlie Fraser led the biggest prison break from Angola. There was a riot and a, ha- and a standoff between Fraser and 10 other inmates in which two prison guards and a trustee were killed. Six other people were also wounded. Fraser and his cohorts were eventually captured and put back into prison. And that breakout was the largest in Angola's history. And this is what led to the construction of the red hat block. I'm you, I'm sure you're familiar with the red hat block. When you, I, re, I remember touring it when I went to Angola prison. It was the, the um, it was like that that cell block that was literally just concrete walls, concrete slabs for beds. There was a drain in the middle, so like you basically did your business on the floor. And the bars were completely open. Well, I'm sorry, not open. Like the bar, like there are bars, right? Yeah. But there was no coverings over the windows or the doors. So you were completely exposed to the elements. And the people who were in the Red Hat prison block mm-hmm. would have their straw hats were painted red. So they could easily be identified while working in the fields of Angola. It was that prison break that essentially made state officials or Angola officials, I'm not entirely sure who, made them decide that that sort of cell block was needed. And this cell block, just as a historical reference, was in use until
1: 1972.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 1972. Yes, it was until 1972. And the men who survived the Red Hat block Said that it was crawling with rats, and dinner was served in stinking buckets and splashed onto the floors. So you, they didn't even really give them a bowl or any kind of utensils to eat with. They just kind of slopped the food on the floor and you on your hands and knees, and you had to, I guess, eat like a piggy.
1: Wow! Like stories we may have heard that viewers may have heard about. some um, Uh, Burma.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, About prison, you know, prisons in Burma.
0: Yes. I mean, this is, and this is recent. Like, there are people still alive who remember the cell hat block. So, but that, but, but getting back to what we're actually talking about today, because don't worry Brian, I'm sure you know what I'm about to say about this. <laughs> I have a future episode planned about the Red Hat Block. It's all fine. I just wanted to mention that today.
1: Yeah, the structure's still there, pretty much. It's, it, it's, it's
0: a, now used as a dog kennel.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's still being used for what it is, except...
0: A- except it's probably better.
1: It's be- it was always suited as a dog kennel, apparently. So they kind of admitted that. That's true.
0: All right. So now, January night or I'm sorry, the entire year of 1999 was kind of a banner year for prison breakouts at Angola. In January, four murderers serving life sentences at Angola took a maintenance man hostage and escaped. The inmates were, were Roy McFall, Daryl Crider, Donald Woolley, and Jerry Davis. They made it through the prison gates to a water tower where they ditched the truck and tied up the maintenance supervisor with duct tape. Then they fled on foot. It only took minutes for the hostage to free himself, and he alerted the nearest guard post. By then, the inmates had about a half hour ahead start. Law enforcement immediately set up roadblocks. And the prison's chase team, armed with night vision goggles, thermal detectors, and packs of dogs, launched a recovery effort. Uh, what, okay, I think everybody knows exactly what night vision goggles are, but what are thermal detectors?
1: Okay, uh, that detects heat signatures.
0: Is it like, um, but like, how does it work? I mean, I, I imagine these days we would fly a drone, but this was 1999, so there were no drones, so like. What was the the mechanism?
1: Well, you use a helicopter, but... Okay. um, But essentially... You see, even night vision goggles will not, of course, will not reveal to you if someone is is behind cover or some type of concealment. Okay. So, although if... But if you can pick up their heat signature Mm -hmm. using a thermal device... Then, yeah, you will see a, a human heat uh, heat signature. It's, it's in a rudimentary shape of a person.
0: Okay. It would be a 15-year-old boy named Matt Tibbetts who would lead police to their capture. <clears throat> he was deer hunting alone on his family's property and saw two of the inmates sitting in the woods. He was unaware of the prison break and he kept walking, which, thank goodness, because this could have turned out a lot worse than it did. But a short while later, his brother-in-law, who had heard of the escape, went to go find Matt in the woods. The pair then alerted law enforcement, and, and they were soon on the trail of Roy McFall and Jerry Davis. According to Jerry Davis, McFall said to him, I'm not going back to prison. They're about to catch us. McFall shot himself in the head and later died at the hospital, Charity Hospital in New Orleans. He was airlifted there. Uh, the rest of the inmates were captured without incidents. Then later that year, December 28, 1999, also at Angola, there was a bungled escape attempt that ended after a two-hour hostage standoff. An Angola employee named Captain David Knapps was beaten to death with a hammer when he refused to give up his keys to six prisoners. Uh, all of those prisoners were also serving life without parole. So these were people who literally had nothing to lose. They were in there for life without parole. Okay. And they, I mean, not that they were nice people, right? But they were willing to beat a prison guard to death.
1: So, yes, apparently those were, every lifer has nothing to lose, but those uh, evil beings were the kinds of lifers who uh, refused to grow past what they were when they entered prison. Mm. You know, refused to pick up a Bible and participate in Bible in prison Bible discussion, which takes place in every single prison in the United States. So they refused to repent. They refused to atone, and they made they made hell their second choice. Apparently now, yes, yes, I'm getting religion here, religious here. But uh, I mean, realistically, if you're a lifer in prison, religious salvation is one of the only things that that that's available for you. And these hor- these horrible people. Decided that they decided that not only did they want to escape, but they, but it was worth committing another murder for.
0: And I also want to remind everybody that this prison is out in the, I mean, more or less the wilderness of Louisiana. It is surrounded on three sides by the Mm -hmm. Mississippi River. Right. And then after that, the other side is just woods. Right. Right. So you would have it's not like you could just, you know, walk down the street and and, and hail a cab or call an Uber or something like like you really have to know how to get around the river or get through the woods. And you would probably need some sort of contingency plan after that. Right. Like you would need to maybe have somebody come pick you up, somebody that that, you know. Or something, and like as far as I know, I couldn't find anything about any plans that they would have had beyond breaking out of the prison.
1: It was obviously a, a very desperate effort. They were probably hoping to get lucky and find someone stopped with it with some kind of vehicle.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah, they that they would very likely just steal a car.
1: Yeah, they would hope to be lucky enough to just find somebody who just happened to be out that way. Right. And and stopped or or con somebody who's driving by and just stopping, stopping for them.
0: Mm. But that's still luck. And then what do you do beyond that? You can't just go to a hotel. You don't have any money. You're you're a convict. So then what? Like you rob a bank and you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying that like it, it just doesn't feel like it feels like that this was an entire waste of time on not only the 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 parts of like the the prison employees, right, but also on the inmates. It's like, I mean, or it, or unless you're bored enough to just say, "Hey, let's break out of prison and see what happens."
1: It was a, a half baked scheme.
0: Yeah, but of course, you you know, I'm a little bit of a planner, so I think about things like that. Now, on this night, on December 28th, uh, at about 8.30 p.m., Sergeant Radia Walker noticed Captain Knapps struggling with several prisoners near one of the buildings. Walker sounded the alarm and ran to help, but she said that another guard, Lieutenant Douglas Cheney, were taken hostage along with Captain Knapps, and they were held hostage at knife point in a classroom in the one of the prison educational buildings
1: was that knife a shank it does not say it's probably it was probably a crude knife that was made by an inmate
0: Pro- probably so uh,
1: which it's it's called, it's called a shank
0: yes yes that that, that is a, well yes cuz i don't think that they like they can't just go grab a steak knife from the cafeteria no and it certainly wasn't a butter knife
1: no they, they're they not even a lot of butter knives
0: because mm. they could file it down into a shank
1: right yeah right and they and they always they check for all the spoons
0: oh too. right yeah because you could make a you could make a, a spoon into a shank too well, you mean like the, the handle end, right? Like not the, not the rounded end you put in your mouth. Oh, so you can handle, sharpen
1: right? the hand, the, 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 uh, the end you put in your mouth, you can sharpen that too. Hmm. Okay. It, it, still, ha- it still has edges. They're, oh, they're very dull edges, but you could do something with it.
0: That's true. But you see, I don't think that way. Because <clears throat> to me, a spoon is a spoon. And not something that I should have to sharpen out. Because I'm allowed access the knives. Right, right. It
1: makes become inventive. I guess you have to be. That's
0: true. Yeah. Uh, At the time, the warden was Burl Kane. When he arrived, he was backed by the prison's tactical team and and began negotiating with the prisoners. One of the prisoners, Joel Durham, said, I've got nothing to lose. I came here as a young man and I'm going to die in prison. But Kane said, it'll be all right and we will work it out. And it was this time when When the uh, Durham replied, you haven't looked in the bathroom. And he was referring to the corpse of Captain Knapps. After a two hour standoff and after discovering Captain Knapps' body, the tactical team tossed a percussion grenade into the classroom and stormed the hostage takers. Denham lunged at Sergeant Walker with a knife. And one of the officers shot him twice in the chest and once between the eyes and killed him instantly. Another prisoner, David Mathis, was shot in the bottom of his lip, but he survived. Two days after this incident, a state judge signed arrest warrants for the surviving five prisoners, accusing each of them of first-degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. Uh, Captain Knapps was part of a large family of prison guards. His father, five of his siblings, two of his children, and his fiance were all either current or former Angola staffers. He was the first guard to die at Angola since 1972 when Brent Miller was stabbed in a dormitory. Angola for the year of 1999 was the scene of an increasing number of troubling incidents. Aside from the two prison breaks um, in November Four death row prisoners escaped by sawing through cell bars with smuggled hacksaw blades, but were caught on the prison grounds as they headed towards the Mississippi River with a makeshift raft. <laughs> Which, so you see, they, they planned a little bit ahead, those those guys. And they didn't kill or hurt anybody while escaping.
1: Yeah, so that's the benefits of a, of a good plan. Yes, although even even a good plan for an escape from Angola has a very a very low chance of success. As we keep seeing because they keep getting caught. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. a difficult area to escape from because of course you not only have to escape from the prison but you have to escape from
0: this uh, you know, pretty barren area. Right. Now Ten days before the incident in December, the Baton Rouge Sunday Advocate had published a long article outlining how security lapses and collusion by prison guards had led to an alarming increase in violent incidents at the prison. They cited it citing internal prison documents. The newspaper reported another recent incident where a prisoner with a six inch long knife walked out of the main prison building and into another part of the complex where he stabbed, where he almost stabbed a guard before he was overpowered. So these are lapses in security too.
1: Yeah. When you, when you have lapses in security and inmates will discover these lapses and you mistreat prisoners as well. Yeah. Okay. The mistreatment of prisoners causes unrest and makes prisoners more likely to riot or attempt escapes. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, in general, every prison guard, every prison member, the prison staff is better off sticking to procedures, laws, and rules, and making sure to take care of the three C's care custody control right all with a professional attitude right no it does not help any member of a prison staff to be malicious to have a malicious attitude towards inmates
0: right and I'd also imagine because he, here's here's what I think prisons are not do not have nice people in them they're, they're, they're inmates, they're, they're there for reasons. Okay? If you are a... And and I, and the population of the inmates is always going to outnumber the guards and the staff. Right? Right. So if you mistreat enough prisoners and you get enough of them angry, they can very easily overrun the staff.
1: If If they're all motivated as a team right to fearlessly act and fearlessly rush the staff right uh, that, that's one that's one way of, of doing it. yes uh, during which other you know other avenues get if everyone's at their post, everyone else is at their post, you know they lock they lock avenues of, of, of access
0: right from the area
1: you know they lock they lock the place down. Um, but part of the, not only part of the care part and part of the control part, okay, one key part of the control part is not only members of the prison staff acting professional and without malice, but also uh, this may sound strange to people who've never worked in in a prison or never uh, served time in a prison, but uh, staff members should so... Show respect to the inmates, regardless of what the inmates are in there for, okay? And despite the fact that, of course, many of these people are not really deserving of your respect, okay? Right. But they should receive the message that you do respect them so that they will return the respect to you, okay? That helps you to control the inmates.
0: Well, it's also been proven that... If you, for example, if you are interrogating somebody and you treat them badly, they're going to lie to you. They're, they just want you to stop you treating them badly, right? Right. If you're kind to them, they're going to open up to you. If you give them a steak dinner... Or if you say, oh, well, you know, you've been here for like three hours. Would you like to have a phone call and maybe call your wife or your mom or somebody to let them know what's going on? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like kindness, you catch more flies with honey.
1: Yes, that, that's true. And, you know, kindness from a corrections officer can simply be uh, extension of common courtesies. Exactly. You, know, you, come, like, you come on the ship. Good Good evening.
0: You don't you, have to you know, give them your phone number.
1: Right. <laughs> you don't have to do special things for them or, or do special privileges. Just do your job with a professional demeanor and a good attitude. Right. And treat the inmates like human beings, which they are, regardless of what got them in there. And most of them will... will Either return the gesture, okay, we'll 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 respect you in return, or we'll make sure that the very few inmates who really don't care and have a very bad attitude will keep will keep them in line. Right. Like, you know, for a classic, classic example, okay, you know, um, inmate who has your respect, or so it's, let's say five inmates who have your respect. Just might turn to an inmate who's trying to give you a, a, a who's giving you a bad attitude and is trying to ruin your day and say, Hey, look, don't mess with him. Right. He, he's he's good people. You know? It Something rem- like that. It reminds
0: you know? me it kinda reminds me of that time when do you remember when we were at that Saints game, it was Saints versus Giants and the Giants lost pretty badly. And there was that Giants fan who was sitting a couple of rows below us. And there was like a drunk Saints fan who was nearest and he started to try to pick on the Giants fan and, and I like looked at the drunk guy. I'm like, leave him alone. He's he's here, he's not bothering you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, it was it was all because um <coughs> he was hearing this from another Saints fan.
0: Right, You right.
1: See, so you you were able to get his ear because he considered, you know, you to be
0: More authoritative because I was a or I am a Saints fan. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. you know, oh, oh, he, you know, she's one of us,
0: right? Type of deal, and and you probably maybe you gave him a second or two to think about it. Well, well, it was senseless. Look, the 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 guy, the Giants fan, was still sitting there even though his team was losing badly. He was staying until the end of the game. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I can respect that when you come when you go to a visiting fan stadium, your team is. Getting beaten up, and you're still staying to the end. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But any, anyway, enough, enough about that. That's kind of off course. Um, but yeah, like the exam. Exib- but more flies with honey, people. More flies with honey.
1: Yeah, and you you minimize what the few malcontents who are always malcontent and wanting to move against the prison staff generally at any given time. That's an extreme minority of a percentage point of right. the prison population, you see. So, you know, be, sticking to the three C's care, custody, control with a professional attitude and respect for these fellow human beings will keep the majority of the inmates in line and they will make sure that the few malcontents are under control as well.
0: Right now, of course, that's not to say you know that's not going to stop certain people from continuously trying certain things. Right, like Charlie Fraser right. escaped from prison eighteen times. You had you know one of the the groups of inmates that I mentioned on on this show today were willing to kill somebody.
1: Right, right. You know the Charlie Frasers, of course, fall into the category of the malcontents who will never adapt to a life behind bars who will never discover the life that you, you actually can have behind bars. Right. So they're always willing to plot something and carry something out. And they're always looking for help and co-conspirators. Right. So if you're treating, if you're treating the general prison population like crap, then it's going to be easy for malcontents to to recruit co-conspirators. And then you've got a bigger problem than having to babysit
0: adults for 12 hours out of your day. Right. And I also do want to acknowledge that it's not easy to wrangle adults. For example, if you're um, an adult education instructor or, or a college professor, right, you're still trying to wrangle adults. Okay. Cause college students are adults. It's, Doubly hard to do so if this is not a nice portion of the population that is in prison. It's even more difficult to wrangle adults in that situation. Yeah,
1: and these, these are adults who don't want to be there. Right, yes now, now actually now now there's a small number, interestingly enough, in contrast to the malcontents, there's a very small number of inmates who are actually who actually feel at home in
0: jail. I mean, three hots and a cot, right? Yeah. You yeah. always, you know that you're going to get fed. You know that you have a bed and you have a roof over your head.
1: And you don't have to do much of anything for it. Although, well, of course, the hard labor in Angola, that's kind of different.
0: It, it It's very different. It's different than maybe being in a federal prison, which, it, are there hard hard labor federal prisons? No. Okay. So, so. Don't commit any crimes, but if you're going to commit crimes, commit a federal one so you go to a better prison. <laughs>
1: <coughs> but, but don't make it a big federal crime because then you could go to a minimum security prison.
0: And, and make sure they can only get you on one charge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you get hold in the federal courts, you better not have a public defender.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: because you need a, at that point, you, you'll, you'll need a good lawyer. Because chances are some of the counts that a, a, an assistant U.S. attorney tosses at you are actually uh, a load of crap. Right. And you, you need a lawyer to, to get rid of some of those counts for you to argue before. Argue before a judge, in which case you probably want a judge trial versus a jury trial, if if you have to get rid of get rid of some of the counts that are against you. Yes, because a you know just like a, a state prosecutor can do this, but a an assistant uh, uh, federal attorney can get pretty inventive. And on charges and literally charge. you know some of the counts are charged with might actually be might not actually be crimes and it's it sounds bizarre but it's a matter of interpretation of the law which might actually be erroneous considered erroneous by a, a federal judge but you have to be able to argue this
0: and it also goes into what we've said before is that if you are arrested for something don't say anything the cops are not your friends Federal investigators are not your friends. If you have committed a crime and you know what you've done, okay, you know what you did, and you get arrested for it, don't say anything.
1: It's even possible that if you tell the police what you did, and you you believe that what you did to be legal, the police officer's interpretation of the legality might be entirely different from yours. Right. Right. So, I mean, theoretically, you could confess to a crime you didn't commit under police interrogation. Especially if you didn't, if let's say you did something, you made an intimate mistake, you didn't know it was illegal, you confessed to it. Uh, you may not even know you confessed to it, which is why, yeah, you're being investigated for a crime, uh, shut your mouth yeah and 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 get an attorney.
0: And that's mostly rich people justice. I think I've said this before in the podcast, but that's what rich people justice actually is. They're quiet. They let their lawyers talk for them. Now, you know, if you yourself can't afford a, a, an attorney that a rich person could afford, your best defense is still being quiet. Yes, okay. And I think that those are my final thoughts as this turned into an episode that was half about a prison break and half about sort of legal advice. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts before we finish up today?
1: It, it, it looks like I pretty much gave my final thoughts for anyone who wants to work in a prison <laughs> 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 or for anyone who, uh just in case they they end up in prison um, pretty much uh, but it seems like prison every every pretty much every prison that's had a riot has is is the the staff of that prison is not exactly innocent mm, okay
0: good
1: point um riots don't don't just happen because the majority, a large amount of the large number of the prison population just feels like doing it.
0: Right. It, it, it's not like they don't want to watch TV. Right. It's not like they don't want
1: to eat. And it's not like they don't want to take naps and read books that people send them. or books from the prison library? They don't want to, Oh no, they don't want to read letters. They don't want to write letters. They don't want to uh, go to sleep at night. And rest peacefully, because of course when everyone's sleeping, that's the most peaceful time of the day in a prison, obviously. Um, No, no. Riots happen because of poor conditions in the prison and mistreatment. And then that's when the malcontent, the the small number of malcontents know they have an opportunity. Right. You see? Um, Don't want to really go into this, okay? But just to make a comparison okay the the treatment of germany after world war 1 and then finally combined with a world depression is what led to is what allowed a small number of psychotic malcontents in germany take over to gain the foothold and become right, the nazi party right, right right you know you know they went they went from 1% of of the German parliament
0: mm-hmm.
1: to a majority overnight after the depression.
0: Well, you know, I am going to make a good assumption here. I'm going to assume that our audience is intelligent mm-hmm. and that they enjoy well, not enjoyed. They understood that example very well.
1: Yes. yes. Yes.
0: Because that is an apt and historical comparison that anybody with even a passing familiarity with history can understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, next week we're going to be talking about the times when we went to Angola prison, not as inmates, but as tourists.
1: Yes. um, Tracy's uh, when Tracy went there in high school and I went there in college as part of my corrections process
0: class. And I went there because at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to be an attorney and I took a pre-law class in high school and it took that class for me to realize I don't actually want to be an attorney.
1: (laughs) Whereas I had my corrections process class before I even worked in a prison. And so, yes, my visit to Angola was before I even worked at Orleans Parish Prison.
0: So, dear listeners, until next time, be safe, be kind, and don't park next to vans.
1: And if it's dark, if it's dangerous, if it's unsafe, don't be there in the first place. And if you're talking to law enforcement of any kind and you are not the victim of a crime or the witness to a crime, lawyer up.